Well, good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Jared Ott. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. Happy that you're with us uh, this morning. Uh, if you, uh, in your service sheets, there's a lot going on, but uh, one of the things that you'll notice is a new members uh, sheet in your uh, service sheet. We're going to be inducting 41 new members, 42 new members uh, in our next service at 1115. They're all going to be here. So it's a wonderful opportunity. I want to encourage you, if you've never uh, looked at becoming a member of Christ Church, uh, or want to know more about Christ Church, we're, we have these regular membership classes um, uh, quarterly, so be looking for that. But uh, again, we gave you this so you can be in prayer for these folks, this blue sheet here, and uh, you can look over this and uh, take this home with you, but we're going to be doing that next, uh, uh, our next service at 11.15. And we do want to ask that you join us next week for Mother's Day as we uh, watch that kind of funny video, but uh, we're going to be having a special Mother's Day message here, and we're going to be highlighting uh, some of the some of what's going on here in our church with Sandy Fisher, who is our director of women's ministry. And she's going to be talking about some of the women's ministry events going on here at the church. So we encourage you to come uh, for that. And we're going to be continuing our, in our series um, after that the, on the I Am Statements of Christ uh, following a special Mother's Day uh, uh, service next week. But we are in our, in our uh, series, I Am's. And we've been looking at these various aspects of, of what Christ is saying when, when, he's, when he came into the world. And he, he gave many, many different I am statements. And this week, as we've sang quite a bit this morning, we talked about the light. The light. And as you have your, your Bibles there, I encourage you to turn there. We're in John 8. And one of the things, as I was looking through this passage this week, and you look at I am the light of the world. He talks about those that aren't in the light are in darkness. Or in darkness, or there's evil going on. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, as it says in uh, verse 11. I immediately started thinking about a time in my own life when I've experienced darkness or evil. Or just a, a sense that uh, this was, this, there, there was no light of Christ at all in this place. And I was thinking about this place immediately. And I, and I remember my wife was with, with me during this time. And so I asked her this week, I said, Hey, Deb, do you remember that this week is that we're talking about the I am the light of the world? Do you remember a time when we were ever in darkness or we ever felt darkness or evil? And she immediately said, thought, said the same thing that I was thinking about. And it was a time about 12 years ago when we were looking for our house. And we were, we, were, um, we were in an apartment in Swickley, and we were thinking about moving up here by the church, because we were working at the church at the time. This is before we were now in Moon Township, but uh, we were thinking about coming up to this area. And we were working with a realtor 12 years ago, and we were looking at various houses. And I remember there was one time that a realtor called up and said, Jared, Deb, I've got a great house for you. It's, it's a huge house, twice as big as you were thinking, for half the cost. But go, you got to go in with an open mind. Right there, church, should tell you, when your realtor says you got to go with an open mind, should spark a red flag. So Deb and I thought, well, this is great. Twice as much land, twice as big of a house for half as much. That's terrific. Again, go with an open mind, the realtor said. So Deb and I pull up to this property, and uh, immediately Deb and I felt an uneasiness. There was just a sense of darkness, evil, if you've ever felt that. And we get out of the house, and there's this huge property, and there's weird machinery all over this property. Engine parts and weird gadgets all over the property. We thought, okay, well, we can clean that up. We go to the front door. There are eight locks on the door. That should be a second red flag for anybody. And we go into the house, and... The next thing we notice is um, there are 
uh, holes in the wall. Not from a hammer, but it looked like an axe. Again, another red flag. The kitchen looked nice. The dining room had been transformed to a dirt floor. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever been in a house where they transfer hardwood to dirt floor, but this one had a dirt floor, almost and reminded Deb and I of like a fighting pit. Again, red flag number three. Went upstairs to the bedroom. The bedroom had been com- painted completely black. Walls, ceiling, and the carpet was black. Red flag number four. The straw that broke the camel's back is we went in the master bedroom, and someone had painted a mural of the devil on one of the walls with a tail and horns, and then with a sharpie on the other wall said, Satan is here. Now, that was red flag number six, to which we told the realtor, pass. We're going to pass on this house. And we left. Deb and I got in the car and immediately felt, we said to each other, that was a place of evil and darkness. I don't know what was going on in that house. But the realtor said that they had been there for over 20 years. And you think, what would lead someone to leave a life of that kind of darkness and evil for that long? Over 20 years. I don't know what happened in that house, but there was definitely a sense of evil, darkness, that Deb and I both felt. It doesn't take a genius to figure out either around here that there's a lot of bad things going on in our culture. A lot of bad things going on in our culture. I always think it's amazing, too, whenever something tragic happens in our society that they end up doing profiles on some of these folks that have done these horrific things. You always find out that it wasn't just a one-time deal with most of these folks. is that they've been kind of living in like a darkness or evil for a long time. They were, they were kind of ensnared in many other things, where, whether it was you know, things on the internet or their phone or whatever kind of issues they were into, they were kind of trapped and ensnared in kind of a darkness that led them up to the point of these horrific acts. And I always think when I'm watching these folks or you see these, these profiles, like, what would lead someone to be in that kind of darkness for so long? You know, it's interesting when, you, when we look at the, the scriptures, the, the Bible is full of passages where it talks about being in darkness. It talks about sin as darkness over and over again. It says in Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know over that they stumble. Isaiah says, yes, those who foolishly substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Romans 1.21, for they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Bible's full of passages over and over again. It talks about sin and darkness. And then we have Jesus here talking about, I am the light of the world. You would think that people that are in darkness, that whoever lived in that house, or people that do horrific things or are living in evil and sin or are kind of ensnared or trapped in sin, would, would kind of naturally flock to the light. You would think that that would be the way of things. But it's interesting that people kind of, when they're in darkness, kind of shut the doors and becomes ensnared and trapped even more in their sin. And it gets worse and worse and worse. It's like the dying man who, who loves and cherishes his deadly disease. That's why John 3.19 says, the, this, the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. It's like people love that. People get... People get into that lifestyle and it's dark and they don't know Christ and it gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get better naturally on its own. People don't naturally flock to the light as you think that they would. 
gets worse. But then Jesus here says, I am the light of the world. Now you may say, well, Jared, you know, what we're dealing with now in this day and age is much different than, than the culture of what Christ was dealing with. I've got to tell you, people were in the dark back then, too. People were living in sin during that time, too. There were some horrific things going on during the time of Christ as well. So the context, the application should say the same. But in order to understand this passage a little bit more, to understand the, the gravity of what Jesus just said, I am the light of the world, we have to look at the context of this passage. Because it, it speaks volumes for what Jesus' statement really means. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, where did this statement occur? First question is, where did this statement occur? The answer to that question is it occurred in the court of women. Now, to understand that, we have to look a little further at John 8, verse 20. It said, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. No one, yet no one sees him because his time had not yet come. Okay, so if you want to know, for those history buffs who knew a little bit about the temple, some of you go, I don't know anything about the temple, I'll tell you. There was different courts that people could go in. The first court of the Old Testament temple was the court of the Gentiles. Okay? And then after that was the court of women. Beyond that, the women were not allowed to go. Even if you go to the Wailing Wall now, there's, a, there's still a, a partition between where the men and women could go. And so in the court of women, this is where all the, because this is the furthest place that most of the people could go, this is where all the, the treasure boxes were. Okay? So you have this court, you have this court of women, and in this court of women there were 13 treasure boxes. Okay? And each of these treasure boxes were designed for a certain thing. So, for instance, the first two, number one and two, were, uh, were giving for, uh, everyday giving that the Jews would give. Standard, uh, standard giving. Treasure box number three and four was for the purchase of pigeons, for the purification after a woman had a child. Number five was for the contribution for wood to keep an altar burning. Number six was for the contribution of incense. Number seven was for the upkeep of the golden vessels. And number eight through 13 was just kind of a miscellaneous giving. And so they had, when you go into this court all around, they had these, uh, they looked like trumpets. They were like real big at first, and then they got real narrow, and then they swelled at the end. And so people would go in there and put all their money in there. And so you've got to figure that this was a very popular place because everybody had to come in and give treasure box, give, give to certain, certain uh, treasures to, uh, for certain things. So it was a very, very popular place. It was a very packed place. Court of Women was always full of people. It was always busy. It was maximum opportunity there for Jesus to make this statement then. Maximum opportunity for the maximum number of people. Jesus was thinking, where's the most people going to be at where I can make this statement? So that's where it occurred. The second, second question you have to ask yourself is, when did this occur? When did this occur? The answer to that question is it happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Stay with me, because this is where it gets important. In order to understand, to know this, you've got to go back a chapter to chapter 7. It says, after this, Jesus went around into Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews were waiting there to take his life. But when the, Jew, when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brought, brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. Okay, so it happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. You may say, well, Jared, what, why is that important? 
But you have to understand, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they have this event, they have this ceremony one night, which was called the Illumination of the Temple. And what they would do is they would all march in on one of these nights and they would, they would have these giant candelabras, four of them. And they would all march in these giant candelabras and then they would, they would push them up and stick them in place. And then they would light them. And the light from these giant candelabras lit up the entire area. The entire area. It was said that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect their light. The priests would come in, light them up, and the whole area was lit. Brighter than ever before, one night a year. And then there's Jesus, who in the midst of all that says, I am the light of the world. Talk about like a killjoy at a big event. Have you ever seen or know one of these people who said, I know one of these, uh, I knew of a guy who um, always had this statement is, well, that's nothing. And so you'd always tell a story or you had a party and, and you would tell this great story and then the guy across the, he would always say, oh, that's nothing. I got another story that was always bigger and better. You've got to think of something like this is going on. You have these huge things going on. They finally light the whole area and Jesus goes, that's nothing. I'm the light of the world. It was a huge deal. It was very controversial at the time because they just lit these candelabras. They were about to light these candelabras. The whole area was going to be lit. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never be in darkness. So that's where it occurred. That's when it occurred. So the question is, is what does it mean? The third question is, what is the meaning of this statement? What is the meaning of this statement? Well, the first one is that it is a clear statement of his deity. Clear statement of his deity. You see, as we already read, John 8, 15, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus came from God who sent him. It was a clear statement of his deity. That's who Jesus was. He wasn't acting alone. He was coming on behalf of God who sent him. The second thing that this statement means is that it reveals the natural state of men and women. It reveals the natural state of men and women. Men and women naturally walk in darkness. That's why the passage I've said in here many of times is the flesh is contrary to the spirit, the spirit is contrary to the flesh. We oftentimes will not want to do what God's calling us to do. It's the natural state of men and women. We're blind, we're in darkness. But you have to understand, this is not the last time Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you look at the next chapter, there's a whole clear teaching on this. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. John 9. John 9. Starting in verse 1. It says, as he went along, he saw a blind man. A man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but... This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Well, I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which word means sent. So the man went and washed 
and he came home seeing. This man was born blind, totally blind, couldn't see anything. The question is, is was he seeking Jesus out or was Jesus seeking him out? Jesus was seeking him out. There was no way this blind man could have found Jesus on his own. Jesus sought him out. It said while Jesus was walking by, he saw the blind man. Jesus found him. Many of you here this morning may be walking in darkness. Maybe you've been into stuff. Maybe you've never seen the light of day. You're not naturally going to come to it on your own. Jesus is looking for you. My question is, are you that one person that Jesus is looking for this morning? He's seeking you out to save you. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom. It's amazing that Jesus comes to us like he did the blind man. So back to the passage in John 8, what happens at the, in the temple courts is after he says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees challenge him. If you have your passage, your Bibles there, it says, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. What they were trying to do was kind of trap Jesus, saying, listen, you can't say that because your testimony is not valid. It's, it was a legal technicality. So Jesus' response in our passage, starting in verse 14, says, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is not valid. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Their judgment is based on human standards. What just happened right before this passage? What happened in the beginning of John chapter 8? It was the woman caught in adultery. What did they do? You remember the story? They brought her out. She's caught in adultery. They put her in front of everybody, right in the middle of the temple, in front of everybody. And what does Jesus say? He says, those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. See, they were passing judgment despite their own sin. I always think it's interesting that the natural state of darkness is not just being in sin or living immorally, but it's the idea that we look at others and go, well, you know what, I'm going to compare myself to that person who's doing awful things and say, I'm not really that bad. There's a judgment where we pass and others go, well, you know what, at least I didn't do that. At least I didn't live that kind of life. There's a natural state of judgment on others. When Jesus came to earth, he came to save. When he will come again, he will come to judge. But his judgment is right. It's true. So finally, what do we learn from this passage? Thirdly, it was an invitation to follow him. It was an invitation to follow him. It says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This word follow here in the original Greek is, is one that means complete submission. Not half-hearted submission. Not sort of submission, but complete submission. Coming to Christ despite what else is going on. Coming to him first and worshiping him. What does he say to the woman caught in adultery? He says, go and sin no more. It's a complete submission to follow him. When we know the truth, when we know that Christ came to save, we want to follow him. We want to worship him. We go back to John chapter 9, the, what happened to the man who's, who was blind. Jesus put mud on his eyes. 
what happened was the Pharisees brought this man in who was blind and was now was seeing, and they were kind of drilling him like and grilling him like, "Hey, how did you become? How did you become well? I don't I don't get it." And they brought him in like twice, and then they accused him of heresy, and then they kicked him out. They said, "There's no way that Jesus healed you." You're saying that Jesus is the light of the world? Forget it. That didn't happen. So then what happens in chapter 9, verse 35? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You, now, you, have, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. So the Pharisees who were, were there with him heard him say this and they asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What did this man do as soon as he was blind and now he could see? He didn't go tell his family. He didn't go run and write a book. What did he do? He immediately worshipped the Father. Oh, that joy that is. Knowing that when we were in darkness, now we can see. Now we understand that Christ came to save. And we don't have to follow the way of the flesh. That Jesus is here so we can have a relationship with him. So when trials and temptations come to ensnare us and get us into sin, we can look to him to get us out of those situations. That church should bring us joy. That church should push us to follow him. That should want us to push us to want to worship him with all our might. The question is, is, are we doing that this morning? For those of us who know and love Jesus, are we following him fully? Are we, do we have complete submission to him? You know, in Matthew 8, one of the, uh, Jesus was talking, one of the disciples came up, not one of the twelve, but another disciple said to him, Lord, let me follow you, but first let me go bury my father. If you remember the story, it was Matthew 8, 18. Jesus, uh, Lord, let me first go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Was Jesus saying to this man, your father's not important? No. What he's saying is, let me come first in your life. See, many of us in life who know and love Jesus will say, you know what, I'm going to follow him, but only if it's convenient, only if my family's cared for, only if I, I, I feel good or after I've gone on vacation or I've done my hobbies or, you know, I, whatever. It's only when it's convenient for them. My question to you is, are you fully following Jesus if you know and love him, despite what's going on around you? Are you putting him first in your life? Are you immediately worshiping him and following him like the blind man did? That's true submission. That's true, truly following what he said, when those who follow me will never walk in darkness. So that's the application. For those of you who believe and know and love Jesus, are you doing that? Are you truly following him? Are you putting yourself and your convenience first? Are you walking in the light? First John 1 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is, glad. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to have fellowship and walk in darkness still, we do not live out the truth. Luke 9 says, if anybody wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and follow me. So my question to you that know and love Jesus, are you doing that? Are you denying yourself and following him and worshiping him with all your heart? Not when it's convenient. But are you truly following him? 
And maybe you're in this room and you say, you know what? Second application is maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know what? That's me. I've been living in darkness and I've never seen the light of day. And maybe you're that one person where Jesus is saying, I'm here looking for you this morning. I want to save you from that darkness. I want to have a relationship with you. That's why I died. That's why I rose again. I want you to come to me. The Bible says, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. My encouragement to you this morning is, if you're that one person who has never seen the light of day, if you're living in darkness, will you come to him this morning? Will you reach out and say, you know what, God, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me from the darkness that I'm in. I believe in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the light in my world. I encourage you to do that this morning. As we come to the communion table, maybe for the first time some of you will come because you've reached out to him for the very first time. And this communion will be even more important to you. I encourage you to do that. And for the rest of you, if you know and love Jesus, come forward and take communion. Remember what he did on the cross for us. And let's completely follow him. Let's pray. God, thanks for today, Father. Thank you for the fact that you made some powerful statements, Father, in some mighty ways, Father. Father, I pray that you be with us in this room now, Father. Maybe there's some who have never seen your light, Father, who have never come to know you, Father. Pray that right now, Lord, they confess to you. And they simply cry out to you and say, Father, forgive my sins. I understand I could never be in your presence with the sin that I'm in. I understand that you died for me to take my penalty and that you rose again three days later. Father, forgive me and come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Father, I believe on you. Father, thank you for those that came to know you, Father, this morning, that saw your light. For the rest of us, Father, who knew and love you, Father, help us to fully live that out, fully dedicated to you, wanting to worship you and glorify you in all we do. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.